Welcome to The Word, Women in Properties podcast sponsored by the Built Environment Communications Group. Today we're joined by Louise Ellison, Group Head of Sustainability at Hammerson, and Keith Clark, Chairman of Constructionarium and a member of Women in Properties Advisory Board. We'll be discussing the impact coronavirus has had and continues to have on the way we live our lives and the impact on the planet. Louise and Keith, welcome. Would you please introduce yourselves? Uh, good morning. Uh, thank you very much for the invitation to be here. It's great to talk to everybody. Um, so yes, I, my name is Louise Ellison and uh, I've been working at uh, Hammerson as the uh, Head of Sustainability for about six and a half, nearly seven years now. Um, and likewise chairing the uh, Better Buildings Partnership. Hi, morning. I'm Keith Clark. Um, apart from being an advisory board, uh, I chair Constructionarium, which is a uh, learning, uh, uh, training, experiential, not-for-profit for mainly civil engineers, but we're including now much wider groups from the uh, built environment. And it's about giving practical, real-life capabilities. And that is changing because of climate change and what we do, as well as chairing the Active Building Centre, which is a government-sponsored R&D, bringing uh, uh, the Transforming Construction Programme to the market and making it applicable. Um, ex background is Easter and Atkins. Before that, uh, ran Skanska. Um, so I'm unusual. I've been a client, a contractor, and a consultant. Thank you. So, remembering that satellite image of China taken a few weeks ago, once coronavirus had started to make an impact, um, and assuming there will be similar images of the planet, are these shocking enough to teach us all a lesson? Or in the rush to kind of get back to normal, will we revert to type? I wonder whether Louise, you want to um, kick off the discussion. Yes, there's a there's a lot of debate about this at the moment, isn't there? And this idea that, that you know everybody is enjoying um, much kind of better air quality, um, and whether or not, and obviously we're seeing lot, the rapid drop in uh, in in NOx levels in our in our cities, and you can see where um, those that that coverage has changed across um, across some of the uh, the countries through those satellite images, which are so fascinating. Um, but of course, the, the, a lot of that has been created by rapid closure of manufacturing in in those areas and and the economic consequences of that are devastating um so the the two things are very hard to reconcile yes i think there is going to be something of a of a sea change in 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 how we uh, look at the environment and, and how we enjoy it and the fact that we can see how rapidly actual kind of change can be made. But at the same time, as we're trying to deal with the economic aftermath of this, um, traditionally, the way of doing that is by um, throwing an awful lot of what will be relatively cheap fossil fuels at the problem. So if we do that again, then we're going to be back to square one very quickly. Um, so in order to avoid doing that, that's going to be quite difficult. and We're going to have to have a real kind of change in thinking. I think there is an appetite for that, but I think it's going to be, it's going to need some very clear leadership in order to really make that happen. It's not an easy task. I'd, ag I'd agree with everything you said there. I think, um, I think there is going to be some confusion about uh, uh, what is a much more uh, clean environment at the moment. And we do see recovery of some biodiversity um, quite quickly. And, and two, two sides to that. One, that's not the same as having a low carbon economy. Not having an economy does not work for the world. People are suffering desperately. The UN report just came out. I mean, there is desperate poverty because of the lack of economy um, and confusing 
the improved air quality and being able to hear birds singing in London is fantastic, but not the way we got there. Um, we do need a global economy, uh, whether it's globalization or not, and we go to more locally produced stuff and we change supply chain, that's going to evolve and I think will be different. But the key is, can we, as, as Louise said, can we do it with a new type of economy which is not based on fossil fuels? And if you look at where we were before the virus, we were all talking every day in every newspaper about a climate change emergency. And the word emergency was not being used lightly. Um, and we had COP coming up in, in, in November. Fortunately, I think that's been postponed. Uh, and I, I would argue fortunately, because no one's paying attention to the measures that Louise has sort of hinted at there, that we're going to have to rebase our economy. This is a massive opportunity for exploiting the disruption in our society. And I use the word deliberately, exploiting the disruption. The low carbon economy will not be a version of what we currently have. There will be massive job losses in a massive number of sectors when they transform to a low carbon base. Um, that, frankly, is a necessary disruption. Um, uh, but the benefits, um, a minor benefit, we save the planet. I think it's yeah. I think it's it, it's always a little bit difficult to sort of be be talking about kind of that that kind of transition being being a very negative one, um, and causing kind of huge amounts of job losses because there the the opportunity is to provide a huge amount of job growth and generation and talent and 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 training and provide that real kind of transition. There has to be a just transition and that's where that whole just transition debate has come from because you you can't you can't you know what's what we're seeing now is an improvement in uh, in in the quality of our environment at the at the expense of a, a very a, often those who are very marginalized in society and we can't that's not the way to kind of to 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 transform. We have to make sure that this is a really just transition, and 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 that requires a lot of leadership and and investment and investment in the in the right areas. And as you say, we, we've been we've been moving in, in this direction, and we've been we've been talking about it for a long while. Um, you know, people who've been working in this sector and in sustainability for kind of 10, 15, 20 years are, are kind of, you know, we were feeling very depressed at the beginning of this year as we sort of were looking at sort of 10 years of, of like, well, we've got 10 years to actually complete it now. If some, if people had been listening and, and taking, paying the attention that they are now, if they'd been doing that 10 years ago, the cost would have been so much less, the transition would have been so much easier. But of course we are, you know, this is, this is where we are. And of course, this has changed so dramatically over the last three months that it does present an opportunity, a really important opportunity. Um, but we need to make we need to be very careful not to lose that and not to get lost in a sense that um, if you are that, that there's some trade off to be made. You can't have a clean environment. You can't protect that. You can't protect the environment unless you uh, unless you kind of um, have that sort of massive uh, economic uh, negative impact, uh, particularly on uh, on those who are kind of marginalised from society and from the economy. You have to be able to do the two together, and that requires some really kind of clear thinking. There are some really interesting things I think have happened over the last couple of months with this, particularly around behaviour change and the fact that we are all being expected to change our behaviour very rapidly in order to to to, to, to manage um, the the impacts of of the coronavirus and COVID nineteen, um, and people are, are by and large, you know 
doing that and being willing to do that. And if you actually trans translate some of that into behavior change and getting some leadership around behavior change for, um, for a low carbon economy and for, 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 for environmental protection, then you'd get quite rapid shifts and quite rapid change, I think. And the two could go e quite easily hand in hand as we, as we start to try and wrap that economy back up, just around kind of like reducing travel and, 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 and looking at uh, where you're spending money and what you're spending money on as we start to come out of this. No, I'd agree with that. I think that the disruption is going to be there. And I, I agree, we could have done a lot 20 years ago. And 20 years ago, we knew enough science, i.e. the term 20 sort of crudely, um, and we could have played with different scenarios and tried something with certain energy. We could have played with hydrogen. We could have played with certain sectors more than others um, and, and, and experimented. And where we are today, I think you're quite right. It's now too late. Now you have to decarbonize all sectors of the economy at a pace. And I think that's the material difference between climate change and all the other issues. Um, that it is time sensitive and compounds itself worse. And I think that's a structural difference, um, which is, you know, we are running out of time, which is why the, you know, the last COP report was quite clear um, that why one and a half degrees is not only desirable, it's now necessary, and it's necessary to be done very quickly. And I think that's when I talk about disruption, I agree with you, the just transition um, uh, is, is fundamental. Um, and I think we will come out, though, of the virus globally with more inequality than we went in, as the poor suffer more, um, uh, have problems with their rent and problems with feeding their families and problems with debt. Um, as always, in disruption, the poor suffer most. Um, uh, and climate change is a classic example where the poor will suffer most. They're the people that can't move their house. They can't change uh, their, their careers very easily. And the training and um, uh, enabling of society to cope with this massive, and it is disruptive, and it is transformational change in the way we run our economy from carbon intensive to uh, hopefully net less than net zero. Um, is incredibly complex and incredibly urgent. And interestingly, if you if you look at the skills we've got, and, and a lot of it comes down to the way we treat people, you know, gender equality, racial equality. We, we don't have the resources to ignore large parts of the population. We actually need to be able to use all the talent in our societies um, to the utmost for something which is a social, I agree, it's both a social economic and technical revolution all happening at once uh, with some horribly unpredictable outcomes and probably some horribly good outcomes, but all unexpected. I, you know, the, the potential for bringing, I agree, for training people and enabling people and making them proud of being low carbon is fantastic. Um, and I think you're seeing it, flight shaming in Sweden, um, people are beginning to worry about where their fashion comes from. People are beginning to think organic food is probably a good idea because saving um, saving your bees is probably quite a good idea for the planet. Um, uh, having plastic in oceans is rude. Um, maybe littering is rude. And I think I agree with Louise. When people think something, you know, driving a, a Humvee is rude. Driving a diesel car is becoming rude. Um, this will change. I think this will change very, very quickly. But we do need some cogent leadership 
and values on this um, and be willing to make some technical mistakes. You know, hydrogen versus in the gas system or not, big choices. Um, but let's get on and make some glorious mistakes on this. I think um, the opportunity within within our sector, with the construction and property sector, is is pretty significant. Yeah. Um, I mean, we we tend to be very much at the forefront of um, of investment, particularly the infrastructure sectors, when you're trying to kickstart an economy again and try to to to, to um, repair some of the damage that's being done at the moment. I think that's probably where a lot of tension will be placed. And I know there's been quite a lot of discussion about um, keeping construction moving where we can keep it moving and where it's safe to keep it moving, because that 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 sector is very kind of fragmented and there's a lot of people within within construction who are who are very who are kind of very vulnerable in terms of employment. Um, but I think that sector is can, I mean, is there's a huge amount of really creative technical talent mm. in that sector, um, which I think if we if we incentivize it properly um, and move towards a different type of infrastructure and really pushing towards clean clean infrastructure, clean tech connection, connectivity, you know, the amount of investment that we could make in improving the trans electricity transmission network across the country, for example, which is a which is for long for a long time now been underinvested and is a problem. You start kind of kind of you know changing the way in which um, which the the, the 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 grid operates, and there are huge benefits that could be could come from that. Um, that would be really kind of responsible, helpful investments in that type of infrastructure. I think we've all seen the kind of connectivity that we require, the massive reliance that we have on electricity. You know, we're all able to do this at the moment because of the, uh, the because we have very stable electricity infrastructure. If we don't maintain that, and if we don't bring that into a, to be a proper kind of real 21st century infrastructure, that's an opportunity for us. That's a really great opportunity in terms of infrastructure that needs to be handled. And it's those types of things that you really I'd really want to, to 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 see being looked at and being thought about in terms of investment. I I agree. I mean I think there's a big argument that rather than uh, boosting road spending we should be boosting broadband first and foremost because that enables you know enables your 12 year old stuck in Cornwall to do their homework. Mm. Um, it enables a, a sole trader to actually join in this sort of thing in a meaningful way and not having um, uh, uh, broadband in a meaningful way is a massive, massive inequality in society, either for learning or for trading or for arts or culture. Uh, it's massive. And I, I, I agree. I think this, this emergency currently is, is going to bring that out in, 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 into high relief. But the, going forward, I think the, the, the grid as is, isn't fit for purpose, has been underinvested. But it's, I agree, it's not a question of investing more. It's in, a question of, you know, we're looking at active building in, you know, buildings that have their own power generation, but work with a group of other buildings, which work with a larger group of buildings, which work with a village. And you layer the grid. And eventually you have a national grid, which is doing a completely different function than the old CGB centralized power stations distributing through the country with massive inefficiencies of transmission loss. Um, you, you know, even if you could get 100% renewables at the core, that's not a sustainable model for electrifying all of our transportation, um, all of our buildings, getting rid of gas, even if you have elements of hydrogen in the system, there's gonna, you know, that's gonna happen. This is 
this is not the existing business models and it's not mm. the existing interests the way they are. And I think companies will find that they have a massively different role or they don't have a role. Um, we need to protect the workforce, but not necessarily the companies. And I think that's what industrial revolutions do. And we've had them before. Um, we're still, you know, life has always been one of emerging technologies and things emerging and things disappearing. Um, how you make that socially just is a separate issue, not that you stop it. I think oh, yeah. The biggest. Yeah, and I think I mean companies have to evolve. I mean that's the whole point of 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 commerce. And if you're not if you're if you're not a if you're not interested in evolving as a as a as a business, then then well your your days are inherently going to be numbered, aren't they? You have to be be able to 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 see your your industry, your sector, your role in it, and how that's going to change. You know, and sensible businesses are constantly looking forward to see how they're going to do that and keep themselves relevant. I'm going to just throw a, a final kind of question to kind of bring it slightly back um which would be what would your climate challenge be to global leaders now given the situation we're in i think i, I think to, for global leaders now i think the challenge well there's two levels isn't there there's the global there's the sort of challenge around global leadership and then there's the, the then there's the local leadership isn't there um, and I think that the challenge for global leadership is to pick up climate change and clean economy and a clean global economy as the as as part and parcel of how we get out of this what is going to be a kind of dramatic downturn for a period of time um, or it's like to be a dramatic downturn for a period of time. Um, so use the use climate change as a as a catalyst for for helping economies get out of this and grabbing some opportunity i think more for sort of more locally for the kind of um kind of international national national leadership i think the message around people the 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 impact that people's behavior can have the benefits that you get when people actually all move in the same direction and are all minded to do the same thing that it is about individual decisions what you yourself personally do that can make a huge huge difference and and, and that's quite a quite a powerful thing to capture and if we can capture that for the benefit of climate change i think that would be incredibly useful yeah i'd agree with that i mean I, I mean, agreeing with all of that, I think um, for the world leaders, I think um, simple message, you need to lead and don't wait. Um, time is of the essence. This is not like a drought where you kill a few thousand people in Africa, but next year it's okay. This is where you kill a few thousand people this year and you kill exponentially more the year after and it's non-reversible. This is structurally different. We cannot wait. So if you wait for the lowest common denominator, you should spend your pension because there's no point waiting. It's that bad. And we need that leadership of every every leader in the world to act now. Um, uh, uh, even if it means some mistakes, you don't transform the global economy without disruption and mistakes. There are huge social opportunities in this, as Louise has said. Um, uh, and there's huge impacts to be managed. You cannot let those inconveniences, and I used, you know, it's not minor, you know, those issues to get in the way that the planet is at risk. 
I mean, it's sort of, it's hard to assimilate what that means, you know, mm. what one and a half, what two degree world looks like is pretty awful. And four degrees is not worth bothering. In fact, you won't yeah, I think it's, it's it's true, and I think what has been interesting over the last few weeks is the is the level of collaboration as well. I mean, I know it hasn't been perfect everywhere, but there has been more communication, I suspect, with between and within global leadership over the last kind of six weeks than 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 the normal. Um, and I think the, the the it's very obvious that you you we need that in order to deal with this type of crisis, and we need that in order to deal with global with global climate change. And we need that time now to get COP ready. I mean, the, the pre-work is done. We, you need a year of good work, like uh, Sir David King did fantastic work pre-Paris. I mean, absolutely fantastic work, which changed the globe. Um, and more credit to the Foreign Office and the work done under Cameron's government. Um, I mean, David, Sir David King did really extraordinary work, which enabled Paris to function. That hasn't happened yet. So we need this year to get that to get that before you get to, to Glasgow. Thank you, Keith, Louise, that's very kind. I'm gonna to have to uh, probably put it to a close now, but thank you for a really interesting discussion. Um, sorry, did you want to say one more thing there, Louise? <laughs> no, I was just gonna say my pleasure. Thank you for the invitation. Yeah, it was good fun. Yeah, excellent, thank you. And um, thank you for listening. Um, do continue the conversation via our Women in Property Twitter account, which is at WIP UK and um, hashtag the word. Thank you.